Welcome to another episode of Search News You Can Use with me, Dr. Marie Haynes. This episode is being recorded on Wednesday, July 10th of 2019. We've got some minor algorithm updates, probably, to talk about. Uh, some interesting SEO tips. I'm going to add one that Alayda Solis tweeted out this week that is a really, really good SEO tip, amongst other things. And uh, we've got some really good questions in the Q&A this time. We're going to talk a little bit about whether or not you need to be disavowing for sites that have um, no manual action, and also uh, whether or not you can see old messages uh, for a site that is added just newly to Google Search Console, um, and a whole bunch more as well. So let's get started. As always, we usually start by talking about whether or not Google has done an algorithm update. And uh, as you know, I've mentioned many times, Google tweaks their algorithms pretty much several times a day. So, you know, anytime I say, yeah, there was an algorithm update, I'm probably correct. But what we're trying to point out here is, uh, was there a significant enough update that we could get information from? And so what we determined in our data looking at it this week is that uh, there were two time periods that it was very obvious that uh, a number of our clients were seeing mostly increases, a few with decreases. Uh, and the first was between July 1st and July 2nd, and then more strongly between July 8th and July 9th of 2019. I really think this July 8th to 9th was something that was moderately significant, probably not on the scale of a June third core update um, and most likely a tweak to what Google has been doing in terms of core updates in the last few weeks or so. Um, it's very hard to analyze algorithm updates at this time of day or this time of year uh, because there's obviously seasonal things going on um, in the States. July 4th was a holiday. In Canada, July 1st is a holiday. Um, and so that can impact traffic positively or negatively for a lot of sites. So when we looked at sites that were affected, uh, there were quite a few sites, especially with July 8th, that saw significant increases that were um, so far sustained. Uh, you know, as I'm recording this, it's only July 10th, and so uh, we haven't had a whole lot of time to analyze this. Uh, but what we're seeing is a couple of our e-commerce clients have seen significant jumps up. Uh, one of these was a site that was hit hard with the August 1st medic update, and they worked hard on improving all sorts of EA EAT aspects, mostly on-page EAT. So they worked at things like showing that their writers truly were experts in the subject matter that they were talking about. Um, they also worked on a great number of user experience things. They made their product pages way more helpful to people. Um, took some things out from behind tabs. They removed a whole bunch of what we call SEO content. If you have content that's on your product pages that really no human being is ever going to read or find interesting, um, it's okay for some of that to be there. I mean, some of it has to be there. You have specs and, you know, the size and color variations and things like that. Not everybody's going to read through all those things. But if you want those product pages to rank, you need to also have other interesting stuff. And so this site worked really hard at actually incorporating user-generated content, uh, getting their users to leave more reviews uh, and to leave questions as well, like frequently asked questions for their products. And this site is seeing really, really nice improvements. Um, we also saw improvements in sites that are not e-commerce. Uh, one of ours was a um, financial site, uh, a site that offers um, lending solutions, basically. And uh, this site, you know, it's hard to say exactly why they're seeing improvements. I'm 
looking at their site, I don't think they've made a, a significant number of changes, although it's been quite some time since we reviewed them. Um, the point being, though, that this was a site that had EAT issues, and I believe um, they've been working off-site to improve uh, people's ability to recognize them as a brand. Um, so... I can't say exactly what's happening with these tweaks. Again, we think that they're just minor tweaks to the algorithm uh, that could potentially affect a site quite strongly. If you were affected by any of these dates uh, in the last week or so, so July 1st to 2nd or July 8th to 9th of 2019, and uh, you were affected drastically, then please do reach out to me on Twitter, Marie underscore Haynes. I can't promise that I can review your site, but it often helps me to know what types of sites were hit and what types of sites were seeing uh, improvements as a result of these changes. So uh, anything you can communicate to me would be really helpful as well. I wanted to comment on this article that was on Search Engine Land about Overstock.com. Overstock.com is a fairly big site in terms of uh, being recognized or a recognizable brand. And uh, this site did really well with the June 3rd core quality update. And so the article talked about some of the things that they've done. Um, and uh, they trimmed out a bunch of old and less useful content. They improved on many of their pages, rewriting them from the ground up. And this sounds very similar to, you know, some of our clients that have seen improvements with the uh, June 3rd update and uh, and also the recent tweaks to the algorithm. Um, and so, uh, you know, kudos to Overstock for working on these things. I find it interesting, though, that their rankings improved with the June 3rd update. One of the things that we theorized about um, after we read the Quality Raiders guidelines, when they changed the guidelines in uh, May, we predicted that a future update would put more emphasis on brand authority. And the reason why we said this is that... Um, the quality, quality Raiders guidelines actually changed a lot of their wording. They changed one section where they talked about the Marriott Hotel. And I've spoken about this before, so my apologies for repeating myself. But just in case some of you have not heard this, the previous wording said something along the lines of, uh, they were using this as an example for the Quality Raiders, and they said something along the lines of, the Marriott Hotel has great information on their site, and so this page can be considered high quality. And then they changed the wording to say something like, this page comes from the Marriott, which is known as uh, an authoritative site, and that makes the page high quality. And to me, that wording uh, sort of emphasizes that Google wants to recognize brand authority even more. And I know this seems unfair. If you're competing against really big brands, then that's something that does seem unfair. You know, in the past, I could decide that I want to um, create a website to sell Nike shoes. And if I had enough good SEO on this website and I was able to build links and um, tweak my title tags and, you know, do all of these things that were for SEO, in some cases, I could outrank a lot of the big players. I'm, I'm not saying I specifically ranked for Nike shoes, but as an example, whereas today, um, if you do a search for Nike shoes, you know, you're obviously going to find Nike at the top, but you're also going to find the big brands. I haven't done this search, but I'm assuming we would see Amazon and we would see some uh, big retailers that you'd recognize. 
So we really believe that Google turned up the weight uh, that they give in terms of authority in uh, in their rankings. And that's a challenging thing. So if you're a small name brand, some a brand that people don't truly recognize uh, or not as many people recognize as the sites that are outranking you, then this is a hard thing to fix. And this is where traditional PR comes into play. Um, and anything that you can do to truly get people saying, oh, yes, I know this company, they're really good because blah, blah, blah. Um, and so you need to uh, be able to do that type of thing in order to rank well these days, which is very, very challenging. I'm actually going to be talking about this a bit in my MozCon talk. Uh, those of you who are going to be at MozCon next week in Seattle, uh, I'm really excited to meet you there. And I'm going to talk a lot about what types of things Google can measure to determine whether a brand or an author or a particular piece of content truly is an authoritative content or a piece of content that has the full gamut of EAT in it. So I don't know, you know, maybe Overstock improved because of these content changes that they made. I think those probably helped. Um, but I think they also benefited from uh, Google turning up the weight on brand authority because they are recognized as um, a good brand. And also, we talked last week about the diversity update. Diversity update uh, took a lot of listings out of the SERPs for Amazon and uh, may have replaced some of these with overstock. So uh, interesting to see what's going on there. We haven't done a full deep dive into this, so I can't give you exact details as to what's going on, but I thought it was worth talking about. There's new information that came out um, from an article in The Guardian in the UK uh, about uh, the power of authority in Google's algorithms. So I found this really, really interesting. The uh, article was an interview with Google employee Pandu Nayak. Um, and uh, what he told The Guardian is this. I'm going to read his exact quote. Um, the article, first of all, was talking about uh, uh, shootings, um, very bad events that happen, and whether Google actually changes their algorithms in times of tragedy, in times where it's very important that there's no fake news uh, that's coming to the top of the news results. And so here's what he said, quote, we have developed algorithms that recognize that a bad event is taking place and that we should increase our notions of authority increase the weight of authority in our rankings so that we surface high quality content rather than misinformation in this critical time here, end quote. This to me is a really exciting statement. I mean, I didn't even plan this in order, but just before this, I was talking about the fact that we really felt like Google turned up the dial in terms of how much they weight authority in their ranking systems. And I realized in saying that, I was making a very, very important assumption. Um, the fact that authority actually is a dial that has weights to it in Google's ranking systems. And, um, you know, we've talked before about this article that came out from Google uh, on how they fight disinformation. It was a white paper that came out in February of 2018. And uh, this article talked about the importance of EAT and how they use EAT and primarily authority in order to determine uh, whether a site is trustworthy enough, is uh, has enough clout basically to rank really well for important queries. So, um, you know, what else can we learn from this? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, we can talk about, uh, you know, the article, actually The Guardian, article, it goes on to explain what authority is. So again, this is a quote from the article. Authority 
by Google's definition, means pages that comply with the company's search quality evaluator guidelines, a 166-page document that the company distributes to its 16,000 quality raters. Actually, you know, that number is uh, uh, news to me. I, I've heard 10,000. I've heard as many as 100,000 quality raters. I'm just realizing this as I say it for the um, for podcasts that uh, here we go. We have an official number. Uh, I don't know where that was sourced from, but there are 16,000 quality raters out there. Um, and so we really think that this is more evidence just showing that we should be paying close attention to the information that's in the quality raters guidelines. And um, while we don't believe that every single dot and, you know, everything that's in the quality raters guidelines is exactly in the algorithm, we do believe that the everything that's in there is where Google wants to go, is something that Google is either already measuring or they want to measure. So uh, it's you're, if you've been listening to me for a while, you know it's no secret that we are big and strong on the quality raters guidelines. So I would uh, really encourage you to read them if you have not. I'm probably going through, you know, I've probably been through it a hundred times and every time something new jumps out to me. So they're very, very helpful. Let's talk about Bing. Um, I had not actually heard of Bing Discover. Um, I'm, I'm very sad that I don't use Bing as much as I should. Uh, we should not be paying all of our attention to Google. Uh, you know, a lot of people do use Bing, and as SEOs, we should be paying attention to this as well. Um, and so Bing Discover is something that I'm not terribly familiar with. From what I can see, it looks like kind of a cross between Google Images and Pinterest. It's collections of images um, in, in different categories. And a lot of them are kind of thin pages. And so there was a really interesting article a couple of months ago by Rowe Skiff that talked about uh, how these Discover pages were actually really ranking well in Google search. So Bing's Discover pages were ranking extremely well. And according to SEMrush data, they were getting millions of visits from Google search to these Bing Discover pages. And now they're completely out of Google's index. So they used to be, exist on bing.com slash discover. And if you do a site colon search for that today, there are no results in Google's index. So some people have speculated that perhaps Bing got penalized because this is thin content. The problem with this though, is that even though Google does have a thin content penalty, it's not usually for situations like this. Um, thin content, it, it's kind of odd why they call it that because I've seen things, it's more for things like doorway pages, uh, sites that are really trying to manipulate Google by creating uh, tons of pages that essentially have the same content. Um, so yes, these pages on Bing were thin, but they're not worthy of being penalized in my experience. And some would argue that, okay, well, isn't this what Panda is supposed to look after? And yes, that is a part of Panda, I believe, that looks at, you know, if your site has big chunks of thin or not useful content, that it can be devalued so it doesn't rank as highly. The problem is, though, that these pages are not just devalued, they're completely de-indexed. Um, it's not that they're ranking poorly or that they're hidden in the uh, omitted results. They're truly, truly uh, out of the index. So we did a bit of digging. I don't have the exact answer, and I wish I had more time to look into this, but there's weird stuff going on. The Discover pages 
Um, you know, they're not in the index, but there are other pages in slash images that redirect to discover. They're using a 302 redirect and they're doing some odd things in robots to block some of these image pages, uh, but not the entire image directory. So we can't figure out exactly why these pages are not being indexed. Um, and if you want more details, you can find this. This is uh, episode 91 of the newsletter, Search News You Can Use. Um, and we've kind of gone into more detail and linked to some other theories and posts on what's going on. So uh, if you want to dig into this more, then go for it. But the point that I wanted to bring up here is there's a really we easy way to determine whether this was an issue either on Bing's side, either a technical issue or something they've done on purpose, or whether this was a manual action from Google. So some people don't know that you can actually do site colon searches in Bing as well. And so when we do a site colon search for these discover pages on Bing, they don't rank on Bing as well. Um, same for uh, some of my staff tried to find them on DuckDuckGo and could not find them. So the point here is that whatever's happening is not specific to Google, which means it's not a Google penalty. So uh, we've probably spent more time than we needed to on that. I find it really fascinating and I, it bugs me that I can't figure out exactly what's happening, but I do think that this is by design um, or possibly a technical error, but it's not a Google penalty. So let's talk about an SEO tip here. This was a great tip by Aleda Solis on Twitter. Uh, and she says, uh, she's talking about what to do with older content that actually used to perform well, but now you have better content. Uh, and one of the examples is, you know, if you have a guide for like the best ways to do whatever in 2017, and then you updated it for 2018, and you updated it again to 2019. Now, we've talked about this in the past that usually the best way to do this is to just have one URL. Um, so, you know, you could say the best guide for this issue, and it li lives on that one URL. And then in the following year, you actually move the old content to a new URL. So you would have, you know, the best guide for whatever slash 2017. And or, you know, just it doesn't have to be in a directory. But the point is that um, you can move uh, the old content to a new URL. And on the current URL, which has gathered links, which has, um, you know, gotten some views, it's already ranking in Google, you can make changes to that page. So in most cases, that's probably what you should do. But what Elate is talking about here is when you have content where it doesn't make sense to remove it from the URL that it's currently on. Um, and so... Uh, what she's saying is make sure, um, figure out what of you, all those pieces of content is the most important. What is the one you want to rank? You know, so maybe you want your information from 2017 to still be in the index and to still be found on the same URL it was originally, but you have a much better post with 2019 information in it. And what she's saying is make sure that you point all of your internal links to the new page. Um, make sure that the uh, the, um, old page has a link pointing to the new page to get, uh, people to that page so that they know where to go. Um, and, uh, um, and then if you don't want that old content there, you can just 301 it to the new page as well. So I know that's kind of a hard thing to explain via a podcast. Uh, and again, you might want to go into more detail in the newsletter uh, if that didn't make sense to you, because I feel like I sort of rambled a bit on that. But um, I thought it was really uh, interesting advice. 
Um, another question, somebody asked on Twitter, how do you become a part of Google's knowledge graph? So first of all, why do you want to be a part of Google's knowledge graph? And this is important. Um, actually, I think I'm going to come to this later in this podcast, is there are a ton of things that are really, really important that Google gets information from the knowledge graph. The knowledge graph is all connected to entities, and entities are connected strongly to EAT. Um, if Google's trying to figure out whether you're an authoritative brand, having entity recognition is very, very important. So Bill Swalsky chimed in on this. And those of you, I, I think most of you probably know who Bill is, super incredibly smart, knows tons of stuff on Google patents and also just how search works in general. And he said, verification in Google My Business is one way to get into the knowledge graph. Um, and entry in a knowledge base such as Wikipedia or Wikidata can lead to a company being included in Google's knowledge graph. So the quality raters guidelines, they actually instruct the quality raters to determine whether there is information in Wikipedia on the company that they are investigating. And, you know, this doesn't mean that there's an if statement in Google's algorithms that says, if listed in Wikipedia, authority equals this. Um, rather, it's just one, or we believe, it's one of the many signals that uh, Google will gather to determine whether you're truly authoritative. So if you are a big brand that you feel like you've got enough recognition that you could get a Wikipedia page, this is something to go for. Um, and you want to make sure that there's information about your company all across the web uh, as well. Um, and so everything you can do to help Google connect the dots to say, ah, this company that's at this URL is the same entity that we've recognized as an authority over here. And we've actually had sites where we really felt like they had brand authority, but Google wasn't recognizing it. And sometimes just adding these little things, even schema can make a difference where Google can connect the dots and say, yes, this is the company that everybody's talking about. Um, and then you can see boosts. Uh, usually if you see boosts, it tends to come with a core algorithm update. And we feel that, um, that's connected to EAT, you know, that Google has been able to say, oh, yeah, yeah, we thought this brand was like a no name, but they actually truly are authoritative uh, now that we've connected all the dots. So good stuff to know. Somebody wanted to know how important is domain age as a ranking factor? We won't hum, stay on this for long, but uh, John Mueller chimed in and said it's not. Uh, you know, having a 10-year-old domain doesn't mean it's going to rank any better than uh, a six-month-old domain. Um, with that said, I mean, a 10-year-old domain has had many years to collect links, uh, so that's important. But it's not like Google looks at uh, who is data to say, oh, you know, this site's been around for 10 years, or this domain was purchased 20 years ago, so it must be good. That's not factored into the algorithm uh, at all. Another uh, interesting quote, Glenn Gabe grabbed this from uh, Google Help Hangout. I should say we're getting, we're hopefully getting back to summarizing our Google Help Hangouts. We've had a bit of a backlog with uh, site reviews and we've actually brought on new staff to help us get through the Help Hangouts and, and other things. Um, and we may keep some of this internally because we're just sort of uh, finding it hard to get all this content out. So if you are one of those people that really relied on our Help Hangout uh, summaries, please do send me a tweet just to let me know if we have enough people who are truly missing the help hangout content that we were summarizing then you know we'll find a way to get it back on the site again uh, so here's the interesting thing um, something that John Mueller said and Glenn Gabe tweeted about is using a pseudonym as a blog author 
so a pseudonym would mean that you have a fake name, you know. So I used to, uh, uh, when I had my veterinary content, I would go by Dr. Marie, not quite a pseudonym, um, but people wouldn't know exactly who I was. And so what John Mueller said is, well, that's fine, but focus on your users and how they would react. If it's a topic where users want to know someone is qualified, like medical, financial, or security, then using a pseudonym might not be great. So here's an example. Uh, some of you know that I play a lot of Fortnite. I am getting better at Fortnite. I'm still a pretty bad player, but I'm getting better at it. And I really, really love it. It's such a great way for me to just get my mind off of trying to figure out Google and work stuff and, and all that stuff. Um, if a Fortnite, so let's see, who's what, one of my favorite... Um, YouTubers for Fortnite is a guy named Cypher PK. So Cypher PK, that's not his real name. You know, that ninja in Fortnite, that is not his real name. Um, but yet, if your name, if so if you use a pseudonym, if you use a fake name, that can be okay. Because when I'm looking for Fortnite content, I don't necessarily need somebody who's got schooling and a degree in Fortnite and things like that. And I can recognize, you know, people all across the web refer to this guy as Cypher PK. Um, so he's recognizable. Google can figure out if I did a search for, you know, important uh, pro Fortnite players, uh, you know, his pseudonym will come up. But most of you that run a business, you want your real name associated with the business. And you also want Google to be able to, again, to connect the dots to say, ah, this Marie Haynes is the same Marie Haynes that does SEO. Um, you know, some of you might know the story that I bought the domain name mariehaines.com uh, and it previously belonged to a woman named Marie Haynes who wrote erotic romance novels, who is totally not me. Um, and so how does Google know that uh, when people are searching for Marie Haynes, that it's the SEO that they want as opposed to uh, the author of these romance novels? Um, I've had to do work because originally, if you did a search for Marie Haynes, you would not find my name anywhere. Um, and so it's important that uh, for EAT reasons that you choose which name you want to be known by. And then as you're getting mentions across the web, you need to be mentioned by that name. Now, I know some of you are saying, does it have to be exact? It's not like that. It's not like, you know, if you go by, sometimes you use a middle initial and sometimes you put doctor in front of your names. And sometimes it's not like it needs to be down to the, you know, the punctuation and every little thing. Uh, but people be, need to be able to recognize that, oh, this author is the same person that's recognized as an expert on this website. Um, that's very, very important. I wanted to mention that the SEO chat forums are now gone. I don't know how many of you use these forums. This was where I really got my start in SEO. Uh, as a veterinarian, I used to be in between appointments. I would be up on the SEO chat forums and, uh, you know, trying to figure out why, how to rank things and why certain things I was trying was not working and all these different things. It was really a great, great place. Um, I think over the years, the quality sort of suffered, but that happens with a lot of forums. It's really hard to maintain high quality content on forums. Um, but uh, I went to check something on the forums just recently and got redirected to Webmaster World. So um, some of you know, and I may have some of these details a little bit wrong, but uh, you know, 
the forums were sold to Jim Boykin from Internet Marketing Ninjas, and then Brett Tabkey, who some of you will know as um, you know one of the organizers of PubCon, uh, um, bought the forum back again. And Brett has a post which we've uh, included in newsletter that talks about there were issues with the code in the forums uh, for the SEO chat forums, and no matter how they tried to fix it, they just couldn't, and they decided to roll everything into the Webmaster World forums. I never was a big user at Web Webmaster World. Um, SEO chat forums was kind of where I hung out. Uh, so it's sad to me to see that they're gone. Uh, I have heard a few people talking about trying to revive them. Um, some people that think they can tackle the code issue that uh, Brett was not able to. So maybe they'll come back. We'll see. I think the data is all still in a database somewhere. Uh, Brett mentioned that they tried to, or they considered just scraping the data and putting them into, uh, you know, a new version of the forum. So I hope that that does happen. And uh, um, I hope that one day, if it does come back, that I could spend some time in there uh, contributing again at some point. Um, let's just talk about this briefly. This is in conjunction with when we talked about the knowledge graph and, uh, um, or the knowledge panel. And when your knowledge panel is incorrect, somebody asked on Twitter, and I don't have the entire thread in front of me, but from what I understand, this woman is a scientist and the knowledge panel lists her as a teacher. Uh, and she was asking, how can that be changed? So there's a really great thread, which we've linked to in newsletter uh, by Danny Sullivan from Google that talks about how Google gets this information. And it's all generated from other places on the web. So he pointed out that uh, he said the titles are generated automatically from web search which sort of um, tells us again that it's very important that other people all around the web are talking about you. Uh, and so Tufts is listing this person as a research associate, which Google has closely tied into being a teacher rather than uh, there's really no information online uh, that calls this person a scientist. So if your information is wrong in your knowledge panel, it's not something that Google can just fix. You need to make sure that the information around the web is correct. And uh, so that's something uh, good to know, you know, and I think, again, this is all tied into entities uh, and having a knowledge panel is important if you want to be recognized as a brand. So um, these are all things that we should all be paying attention to. I want to talk just briefly about some local SEO issues. There are more bugs in Google. Uh, a lot of businesses have been use, losing their reviews. If you've noticed that you've lost a bunch of reviews, we think that this is a bug on Google's side, and we don't know whether there's something you need to do to get these reviews back. I've heard a couple of people saying that their reviews are coming back, uh, but I'm not sure exactly what is happening. Um, Joy Hawkins, uh, well-known in the local space, is saying Google is aware of the issue and she's waiting to hear back on whether or not we actually need to contact support uh, for this. So um, we'll keep you updated on that. Another Google My Business issue is that uh, if you look at the stats for your photo views, your image views, um, pretty much every site is showing that at some point in mid to late June, they are down to zero. Um, so that is not working. So if you've noticed that your photo views are, uh, you know, have plummeted to zero, it's probably not that people are no longer looking at your photos. Um, and then the other issue that seems really significant is that uh, a lot of businesses that used a Google My Business short name um, are seeing problems. So 
Google My Business uh, sent out emails saying, hey, if you want to grab a short URL to refer people to your Google My Business listing, you can do that now. And so we went in and we, uh, we create, I can't remember what our short name is now. Um, and it seems that a lot of people who set up short names actually had their listings disappear. Uh, and what they think has happened is that it's connected to if you've used an underscore in the short name. And the funny thing is, Google actually suggested using an underscore to some people. Uh, and a few anecdotally, uh, a few people have said that removing the underscore, actually completely removing the short name seems to reinstate the listing. So uh, if you're in that situation and you've noticed that you are no longer uh, visible for Google My Business because your Google My Business listing has been suspended, then um, this might be something connected to uh, these um, short links as well. Let's see. All right. So we're going to move on to Q&A now. So this is the feature that we started doing uh, just a few weeks ago. And I'm, I'm really, really enjoying this. If you want to leave me a question, there's two ways that you can do it. One is you can uh, go to our website. The latest version of the newsletter will have a link to a form uh, that you can fill out and ask your question. And then the other way is just to tweet at me, um, at Marie underscore Haynes. And, uh, and, you know, if I can't answer your question quickly on Twitter, then I can maybe cover it in the podcast. Um, so this first question is from Josh Gates on Twitter. And uh, he's asked, question for Q&A, any way to know if a retired domain already underwent a site move? For example, can current GSC property owners access history of site moves or other criti critical property items like manual actions, etc.? So this is a frustrating point for me. Uh, having done so much work with manual actions, it's always been really frustrating because often what would happen was the site would get a manual action, they'd hire me to remove it, so they'd add me in Search Console, and then when you're newly added to Search Console, you can't see the past messages um, and you can't see the past manual actions. Now, if there's a manual action currently on the site, you'll see it. But I think what you want to know is, you know, hey, this site changed hands two years ago. Did it have a manual action in the meantime? There's no way to know that. Um, did the site go through a site move? That probably would be in the messages section of old Search Console which I don't believe is in new Search Console. But again, the problem is most of those messages, if you're a newly added owner to Search Console, you don't see the old messages. I say most because I had a few years ago, some of the old ones started popping up. Um, but for the most part, you can't see those messages unless you've been an owner when the messages came in. I noticed something recently in the documentation for manual actions from Google, it actually says that you should be able to see the history of manual actions in the manual actions viewer in new search console. So we checked this out for a couple of sites that we had removed manual actions for, and uh, there was no history section that we could find. So at this point, the answer to your question is unfortunately no. Um, I was actually, uh, I don't know if I can talk about that. I was involved in a court case around this very subject, and I, I can't go into the um, into the details. But the thing is, it's very hard to determine uh, historically. 
whether there was a manual action on the site. So one of the things, I mean, if you're trying to investigate a new site and you want to know if something happened, you can look for whether there was a drastic change in traffic that happened not in conjunction with an algorithm update. Um, and that can sort of be a hint that perhaps, um, especially if you're seeing a drop in just Google traffic and not other search engines. So that's something you could look for, but there's there's really short of, um, you know, subpoenaing, subpoenaing Google, uh, it's not possible to get that information um, for the average person. Um, another question by uh, TJ Robertson asked, uh, when disavowing unnatural links for a client who does not have a manual action, do you still attempt to remove the links first or is it just, is it safe to disavow around a thousand links? All right. So this is a question that's come up for years. As long as the disavow tool has been in place, uh, which was uh, late 2012, um, people have been saying, do we really need to disavow? Uh, or I mean, to remove links. So when you go to file a disavow, Google gives you all sorts of warnings and things saying, this tool is for advanced users only. And, um, you know, you should be doing everything you can to get links removed from the web rather than just disavowing them. Um, and Google has documentation that says, uh, you know, they would much rather see you remove links from uh, sites than disavow them. The reality is though, that in most cases, the links that you're trying to disavow are links that um, are, they're on pages that nobody monitors anymore. If you have spam links in old spammy directories, things like that, we still do disavow those. I think the Penguin algorithm is pretty good at ignoring a lot of those. Uh, and we have an article, if you go to um, mariehaines.com slash disavow-2019. It has our latest information on uh, what we recommend for use of the disavow tool. And John Mueller has said that if you have a history of creating links just for SEO, there are algorithms on Google's side that can trust your site less uh, if they notice that there's a lot of unnatural links pointing there. And it can cause Google to actually put less trust in your entire link profile. So we are starting to see some good results from uh, filing disavows, very thorough disavows um, with surgical precision where we look at pretty much one link from every single site linking to the um, to your site and determine you know is this an unnatural link and is it not so I know that doesn't fully answer the question the question is uh, is there just as much benefit from disavowing these links as opposed to removing them um, I have an article and I don't remember the title of it now but I have a whole article on this from a few years ago and really the advice has not changed John Mueller uh, was asked about this multiple times in help hangouts and at one point he said essentially disavowing is the same as removing a link when you disavow a link what you are doing is you're saying to Google I don't want you to count this link in your algorithmic calculations um, I don't want you to count the page rank from it any signals that pass with it I do not want you to count that link or if you disavow a domain you're saying I don't want you to count any of the links from this entire domain that link to my site so um, that does the same thing as removing a link. The problem is though that the disavow tool, um, I don't want to say it's buggy, but it's, we don't have a lot of clarity on how it works. Uh, and so, you know, it can very easily, you can have errors in your disavow file. Um, I mean, Google does tell you if you have errors, but there are things that can happen. Um, and because Google doesn't give us any clarification as to exactly how the disavow is working or whether they're disavowing links and how long it takes after you've uploaded the, the disavow, um, things like that, as much as possible, 
I'd prefer not to rely on it. Um, and what I mean by that, so here's the, the short answer to this question, is if you have links that are unnatural, and you have power to change those links, then do it. Um, either change them to no followed or completely remove them. And what I mean by that is if you've got a, you know, a private blog network that you set up or um, you know, you've got a whole network of, of your own sites, well, I guess that's the same thing, uh, but you've got things that um, you have power to change easily, then I would go ahead and change those, even if you don't have a manual action. Um, if you think these are unnatural links and you don't want Google to be algorithmically measuring them, then yeah, just you know, go ahead and change them. If you can't get a link changed, then disavow it. Now, if you have links from, you know, low quality guest posting and like I said, low quality directories and reciprocal links from many, many years ago that were just done on a massive scale and you feel like these are going to be an issue for Google, my experience is that site owners are sick and tired of getting link removal requests. Um, it's not so bad now. A few years ago when Google was handing out penalties like crazy, uh, uh, you know, initially when we would send out requests for link removal, we'd get maybe five to 10% of uh, these people would respond to us. And and very quickly, it went down to like fewer than 1%. Nobody would respond. And it was such a colossal waste of time. So we've been experimenting recently with actually doing, even for manual actions, doing less link removal um, and just disavowing. And we explain it to the web spam team. Again, this is for manual actions. So you can't, explain things to the web spam team when you have a, um, a an algorithmic issue. Um, but for manual actions, we explain to the web spam team, look, you know, we can do link removals and contact all these site owners if you want us to. Uh, but from, you know, our experience in working with Marie Haynes Consulting, uh, they have told us that it's going to be a fruitless venture and, um, you know, it's going to be very challenging. I think in some cases, if you've been spamming for a very long time, then uh, that's something that, you know, Google may want to see that you're dealing with this. So we're going to end it at that. This was a very long version of the podcast. Um, I will be in MozCon next week. So uh, I'm going to be speaking on July 16th, which is also my birthday. So that's kind of cool. Um, and I'm really, really excited about that. I'm not sure whether we're going to have a podcast episode next week. We're going to see how MozCon goes and, um, uh, you know, whether I have availability to do podcasts. But we still will have a newsletter out as my team is working really, really hard on that. Um, those of you who are interested in having my team and I review your website, uh, we are still taking clients. I think our waiting list is around six weeks or so right now. Um, and we are taking on more clients for what we call our light reviews, which still are very, very, very uh, full of um, information, um, but less expensive than our full uh, site quality reviews. So if you're interested in that, you can reach out at help at mariehaines.com. Um, and we would be happy to uh, give you a quote um, on having a review of your website. So that's a lot of news that we covered. Thanks so much for listening, and I wish you the best of luck with your rankings. Mm -hmm.